1: Welcome back to the MarTech Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Knit. Knit is a dynamic ad insertion platform that allows you to reach your target audience with podcast ads on premium podcast content like CNN, Bleacher Report, and TMZ. Knit is a self-service platform with no minimum order sizes, so it's easy to test no matter the size of your business or your budget. And you can choose which shows, geographies, and keywords you want to target. I'm a Knit customer and can vouch that it's an easy and cost-efficient way to market your product or service. If you're interested in learning about Knit, click the link in our show notes or go to benjshap.com slash Knit, that's K-N-I-T, to book a strategy session and I will personally help you set up your first campaign. That's benjshap.com slash Knit, K-N-I-T, to start building your audience with Knit. Bringing podcast advertising to the people. That's Knit. Today, we're going to discuss the controversial topic of how marketers can use device location data. Joining us is Apu Kumar, who is the founder of Lotta Data, which is a people intelligence AI platform and real world movement graph for apps, cities, brands, and businesses. Prior to his current role leading Lotta Data, Apu has held both product management and business development roles at CNET and HP. And most recently, he was the SVP of a gaming company called GamePop. Today, Apu is going to tell us what device data marketers can access and how it can and should be used. Here's the first part of our interview with Apu Kumar, the CEO of Lotta Data. Apu, welcome to the Martech podcast.
2: Thanks so much for having me, Ben. It's a pleasure to be here with you today.
1: It's great to have you. So to start off, you wanted me to try to pronounce your first name, which is spelled A-P-U-R-V-A. And I'm going to go with Apuva.
2: That's near perfect pronunciation.
1: Okay. How do you pronounce
2: it? It's an ancient Sanskrit name. Many of my friends struggle to say Apoorva, and that is the correct pronunciation. You, you said it, but then I tell them all, you can call me Apoor, like in The Simpsons.
1: Right. Apoorva. poor. Pur, right. Got it. And then you had an acronym for your name in your LinkedIn profile, which I got a kick out of. Can you tell us what the acronym for your name is?
2: So if you look at what most of these semiconductor companies have done, Intel invented the CPU for all practical purposes, and AMD defined their APU, which was an accelerated processing unit. So that was the acronym I kind of adopted
1: accelerated processing unit. So we're talking to someone who is thinking at a faster rate than most likely the average human, which makes sense. Why are you working in a sophisticated field like location and device data? I'm sure that there's lots of math and complicated topics that you're covering.
2: Hey, we are in a MarTech podcast, aren't we? We are. So yes.
1: (laughs) So to start off, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and the company that you're working on?
2: Absolutely. So A lot of data, the company that I'm focused on right now, is an alternative data company. We are a B2B SaaS platform. Uh, We like to think of ourselves as the real-world knowledge graph for mobile apps, smart cities, and enterprise businesses. We started about three years ago here in San Francisco. And if you look us up online, you'll see our thesis, essentially, which is why people are where they are in the real world what is on their minds, and what might they do next. And this thesis is what led us to build the company. It's a broad problem. It passes many different contexts. And to solve this problem, we continuously collect data streams about people, about people presence, people activity, people movement. And we do so in a completely anonymous manner.
1: So it's a controversial topic, right? The CEO of Google was just in front of Congress, and I saw a video of a congressman asking him, if I take my phone and I walk over and sit on the left side of the room with the Democrats Does Google know that I'm now sitting with the Democrats? And the CEO of Google's response was, well, I'd have to look at your device. It depends what your settings are. And the congressman said it's a yes or no question, which is very clearly not a yes or no question. It depends if you have your location tracking on. But clearly it's a topic that's bubbled up to the top of the political sphere I know it's something that marketers are always interested in. So let's just start off by you telling us what access to location data do marketers have or can they access?
2: There is a wide range of data that marketers can access. But let me just say that Sundar Pichai's answer to that question was actually appropriate. Perhaps he could have been a bit more aggressive with his answer and asked the congressman if his location was turned on if he was connected to Wi-Fi already, or was he connected to GPS and GPS turned on, and then tried to explain to the congressperson that even GPS signals have an accuracy measure. So if he were to move from one side of the panel to the other side over to the Democrats, that's probably 20 meters, and a GPS signal may not have that level of accuracy at that point in time within that building. So it may not be possible to detect that movement.
1: I actually thought was funny was his answer was, that's an iPhone. Apple makes the iPhone and I work for Google.
2: <laughs> that's exactly right. And he was holding back. He did the good answer first. And then when pressed multiple times, he finally did say, you're holding an iPhone. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Anyway, so the political sphere, and obviously it's a hot topic these days, which is the reason why I brought that example up of there's obviously some conflict between a company's access to location data and how that affects someone's privacy and the ability for people to publicly broadcast their location to marketers for the reason of marketing, targeting, and the use of technology, and also the value that it provides to the end consumer. So a special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex, ready to take your team from I think to I know. Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to That's mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. Talk to me a little bit about what is out there and what a marketers have access to.
2: Oh, absolutely. Marketers have access to a wide range of data coming from our mobile devices. And one of those data points is the location signal or the geo signal. And that would mean that depending on the apps that are being used on the device, if GPS is turned on, if location is being shared, they would know where we are in the real world. They could know potentially that we are at a retail location, at a shopping mall, at a fast food restaurant. They could know that we are commuting at any given point in time they could have a good sense for our behaviors in the real world.
1: I guess there's a couple of different questions that I have about that. And I think what people get concerned with from a privacy perspective is if a company knows where I am at a given point, can they understand my behaviors over a long period of time? Can they tell my patterns of behaviors and have it be in a personalized sense? I don't want someone from Google knowing whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the road But I don't mind Google the company knowing what my location is when I'm trying to use maps as a GPS reference. How can marketers and anyone else who's listening try to think about the anonymization of data and how that affects its applications?
2: That's a great point. And much of the debate, both in the political circles as well as in the digital advertising sphere, is exactly about this point. How can you anonymize data? And what is the context? So if you were using Google Maps or Waze Maps and you were actively trying to get from point A to point B using navigation, your location is being shared continuously. And that's a fair use case because you are requesting that service of the app and therefore from the service provider. But if the same data were to be shared with third parties or if that context were to be shared with marketers and they were to push you ads or engage you in ways that you did not expect to be engaged, then that could result in creepy behaviors. That is what this whole debate is all about. At what point is it okay to share data? To what extent can the data be shared? And to what extent can it truly stay anonymized? If you look at what most data companies in the location space might tell you, They collect your location, they collect the time when the location signal emanated from your device, and perhaps an accuracy measure and a device identifier. I mean, that's where it starts to go down this spiral very quickly, because then you can start to collect more information from the device, and that makes it possible to actually identify the person. And that can be quite scary.
1: Yeah, I think the question is identifying who the person is and then being able to look at a long list of behaviors so you can predict what they're going to be do or where they're going to be at a certain time. And again, this seems like a very gray area where some of those use cases are perfectly fair use. If I know that you're likely to be commuting as a marketer, I'm going to start buying ads in podcasts and on the radio to try to reach you from four o'clock to five o'clock. That seems like a fair use of the marketing data that is like, I'm targeting people like you during commute hours. And that's who my user base is, as opposed to, I know that Ben Shapiro is sitting in this type of car and he is on this road and he is not home. So I can go rob his house. I think that's what a lot of people who are not familiar with the technology are mostly concerned about is how personally identifiable is this data and how is it cataloged?
2: You're exactly right. And the fear is well-founded because if you look at privacy in general and the way privacy has evolved, mobile data collected from mobile devices historically has included all types of personal identifiers, your phone number, your name, your email, perhaps even your age, if not your date of birth. In some places, in Asia, your national identifier comes through. And when you start to collect these types of pieces of information from the mobile device, you're essentially building a complete profile of that individual. So yes, I would know it is Ben Shapiro, and I would know your age, and I would know perhaps where you live, approximately where you work, the routes you commute. And building and storing such a profile in the cloud, and perhaps even sharing such a profile with third parties is extremely dangerous. Now, if you were to build a cohort or a segment that says, here are all the commuters that go from Hillsboro to San Francisco twice a week, and Ben Shapiro happens to be one of the persons in that cohort, that might be acceptable because we don't know much else about you. We just know the fact that you are one out of 40,000 people who commute that route twice a week. So there are different ways to slice the data and look at it, but the construction of these complete profiles about individuals, which is what has been happening over the past few years, can be quite detrimental.
1: So we've talked a lot about some of the concerns people have with privacy of location data, and I want to turn the conversation to more of a productive use of this data. You mentioned that if I was commuting from the peninsula to San Francisco, I'm one of 40,000 people on the road. As somebody who makes that commute frequently, it feels more like a million people, but you're better served to be able to tell me how many people are actually on the road, because that's really what a lot of data does. Tell me about some of the use cases for marketers and some of the data that you can get in aggregate looking at location
2: data. There are a world of behaviors that can be inferred in a very privacy compliant manner. So the commute example was a great example. If you want to know people who are commuting between Palo Alto and San Francisco, a very classic commute here in the Bay Area, and the times of day when this commute happens so that you can present them with appropriate content, perhaps an ad for a mobile game, because most of us are playing casual games on the train anyway, or with content or podcast content, then we can help you understand that commute path as well as the most appropriate times to present such content. If you are looking to run a targeted campaign, for example, for Sushi Rito in the Mission District in San Francisco, that's a sushi restaurant okay. that presents their sushis in the form of a burrito. Now, you must try that.
1: Now, Sushi Rito. Got it.
2: So what you would typically do is log into Facebook, get into the campaign manager, and run a two-mile radius campaign around the Mission District. Or you could mine the real-world data or location data. And you could develop maybe deeper profiles and behaviors in an anonymized manner, of course, and then get a feel for who's visiting fast food restaurants, who's going to quick serve restaurants in the mission, what times of day, what days of week do they go and how long do they visit? What other places or brands do they have an affinity to And then design a highly targeted proximity campaign around the exact places at the exact times when you're likely to get the attention of that target customer and also when they are most likely to be receptive to your message. Those are examples of good positive use cases where location data can be very helpful and can result in all the benefits that you expect to see from a targeted campaign.
1: So you're basically able to use location data to improve your targeting by looking at the time of day sort of volume of throughput over a specific area instead of just blindly targeting everyone on a channel like Facebook all day long in a given area.
2: That is exactly right. So we are able to get a feel for footfalls or visit rates for most places, brands, and businesses in most cities. We have a good sense for dwell times or the duration of time that a person visits such places. We might have a sense for purchase and conversion as well if you combine third-party data sets with the real-world data.
1: The interesting thing to me is while we're talking about targeting and you're sort of working in the location data to figure out time of day and geographic targeting, there's also a conversion tracking component to this, right? Someone has gone by my billboard and now I can see if they've gone into my store. That to me is another component of the use case for location data. It's not just profiling where your marketing should be, but was it effective?
2: Yes, of course. And that level of attribution is what is now possible using some of these newer technologies. It's relatively straightforward to attribute retail footfalls post-campaign these days. So you can run a campaign online, offline, billboards, augmented reality campaigns, and then get a feel for how many people who were exposed to that campaign, then also ended up at the local store or set of stores that you were hoping they would end up at. So it's possible to do attribution attribution to conversion as well if you get creative with combining third-party data sets. For example, MasterCard has an open data set about transactions at these stores, anonymized transactions. So you could get a feel for the lift in transactions that could have occurred after the footfalls increased post-campaign. So there's a lot of very interesting ways to understand the impact of these proximity campaigns these days.
1: Interesting. So tell me a little bit about who is using this device location data, what type of companies, what industries are interested in your location data?
2: As is probably the case with most companies in this space, when we started out, the marketing and advertising use case was the line of sight use case, low hanging fruit. They tend to be the most aggressive users of such data. So if you're looking at digital marketers, mobile marketers, wanting to run targeted proximity campaigns, they would be trying to get a hold of a wide range of data sets, but location tends to be one of the top data sets that they would like to understand before they design these campaigns. We have large enterprise customers who are actively collecting data from their customer base with full consent and notice. And then they try to understand what do these behaviors mean? Where are our customers? We know they are in San Francisco because Google Analytics tells us that they are in San Francisco, but where exactly? What block within the city? What types of behaviors? And how does this impact our future business and revenue? So there are use cases where we can help enterprise customers segment their user base. There are very surprisingly use cases in the local government space as well. And this is something we stumbled upon As the company started to evolve beyond marketing and advertising, we realized that city governments are the largest owners of real estate in any given city. And there are so many different assets and structures and things that cities own and want to understand deeper. For example, how many people have visited Golden Gate Park in the past month? It's a very difficult problem to solve. How many people have been through the downtown financial district and where did they come from? Where did they go? Very hard problem to solve. And many of the answers lie in location intelligence.
1: So just to summarize, the primary use case from the marketing perspective is people that are using location targeting as a key part of their customer personas, understanding when somebody hits a specific location so they can serve an ad to that person. The example that comes up to my mind is if I'm the San Francisco 49ers and it's Sunday, and someone is driving southbound on 101, I would like to play them advertisements to come buy tickets to the 49ers game, because they're already headed that direction down the peninsula. And maybe that's technically a difficult thing to implement, because I don't know how actionable the insights are. Can you actually use this data in real time?
2: Yes, of course, the data can be used in real time. And it comes down to the technologies being used to implement But there are use cases like the one you described where there is a known intent visiting the ballpark and you want to present them with an offer an hour before they leave home to go to the ballpark. And that's a very valid use case that can be implemented using location intelligence. You could also potentially present them with an offer or a piece of content while they are at the ballpark because you know that they are there and the GPS location on their phone indicated to you that they are at the ballpark. So there are real-time use cases. The most common example is coupon for a burger every time you're passing by McDonald's, which in my opinion does not work because just because you're passing by doesn't mean you're in the mood for a burger. But that may be different when you're looking at stadiums, arenas, shopping malls, and different contexts.
1: I'm going to go a little deeper on the San Francisco 49er metaphor. Let's say you live in San Francisco. I can use your location data to understand that you are likely to go to two football games out of eight home games per season, right? I could look at historical data to understand how often you are in the stadium during the times of games. And then I know that since you are a likely buyer or at least an enthusiast of the 49ers, To serve you with a promotional offer, I'm going to target you on Facebook and try to target you using audio ads on Pandora because I know you're likely to go to the 49er games and I'm going to start my marketing on Saturday when you're likely to be at home. That's one of the ways that you could use this type of location data.
2: Most certainly you could. The same could also be achieved through other means, because in the case of the specific example games at the arenas, you're buying tickets. And when you purchase a ticket, most of your personal information is already provided to the organizers. So there are ways to connect the dots even without using location in that specific example. But you're absolutely right. If you want to start broadcasting and pushing content through Pandora or other radio networks, then this could be done using location data.
1: I'll push back and say a lot of the times the people that buy the tickets are not the people that are attending the games. So the transaction data does not necessarily tell you who the fans are. There's a huge percentage of fans tickets that are bought by corporations, bought by scalpers, and then they turn around in the secondary market.
2: Very true. Good point.
1: Anyway, it's an interesting exercise of thinking about how you can figure out who is truly your customer by understanding their location behaviors. You mentioned that governments also are interested in using the data. Why does somebody want to know how many people are passing through Golden Gate Park in a given month?
2: That's a question that we scratched our heads about as well, because when we first started looking at the smart cities, local government use cases, it wasn't obvious to us why they might need such data. But then as we got into it, we embedded ourselves in the mayor's office, city of San Francisco, and also the city of San Leandro across the bay, just to try and understand what is it that they need here. And then we realized that everything from budgeting to forecasting to resource allocation depends on usage or should be based on usage and is not today. So when cities do their budgeting and they allocate a budget for all the parks and playgrounds in San Francisco, is it really based on usage? Today, it's not. And that's probably true of all the cities in the US, except the ones that probably have very sophisticated IoT networks and grids. So the cities want to know usage. And a good way to understand that is to look at anonymized location data. So they need dots on a map. They need to see how many people, how many dots within Golden Gate Park. And what does that mean for the previous month, by week of month, by time of day? What are the trends? And how does that impact their plan going out three, six, nine months, both from a budget as well as from a resource standpoint? Everything from park maintenance to park events can be done better if they have a deeper understanding of usage.
1: It's a fascinating new source of data, and I think that it's incredibly complex with not only the potential risks in privacy, but also the applications to really understand your customers or your potential customers' behaviors and to be able to accurately target them. So That wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Apu Kumar, CEO of Lotta Data, for joining us. In part two of our interview, which we're going to publish tomorrow, Apu is going to tell us the boundaries of fair use for device location data. So if you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Apu, you can click on the link in our show notes to see his LinkedIn profile. You could send him a tweet at Apu underscore Kumar. That's A-P-U underscore K-U-M-A-R. Or you could visit his company website at lotadata.com, L O T A D A T A.com. A special thanks to Knit for sponsoring this podcast. If you're interested in testing podcast advertising as a marketing channel, click the link in our show notes or go to slash Knit, that's K N I T, to book a strategy session with me where I'll personally help you set up your first Knit campaign. If you're a subscriber to the MarTech Podcast, thank you for being a member of our community. We always want to hear from you. So we created benjshap.com slash question, where you can send us your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on an upcoming show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. My handle is Ben J. Shap on both LinkedIn and Twitter. That's B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. If you haven't subscribed yet and you want a weekly stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, in addition to part two of our conversation with Apu Kumar, CEO of Lot of Data, we've got a couple great episodes lined up in the next couple weeks. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning.